Hey there, nature lovers. Thanks for coming back this week to listen to the third episode of the Spooky Bunch podcast. Just as a reminder, we are still doing a discount code for some spooky merch. So if you enter the discount code SPOOKY in all caps at our at our uh, merch store, if you visit our website, thebirdiebunchpodcast.com, you can get 15% off your order. So again, visit our website, thebirdiebunchpodcast.com. Use the code SPOOKY for 15% off your order. With that all out of the way, though, let's get into it. (laughs) Hey there, spooky lovers. Welcome back to another episode of the Spooky Bunch podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, and I, I'm I'm blanking on that last one, Matt. Matt, what, what's that? What's that last one? I think it starts with an F. Is it fear? I think it's fear. I think it's fear. We talk conservation, education, fear. No, that doesn't sound right. Is it? Could it be fascination? It could be both. Okay. I mean, I'm scared of a lot of things. Conservation, education, fearsonation. I'm CJ, and I'm joining my two co-hosts. <laughs> you already know my <laughs> name. Do I? I mean, CJ said, but if you don't, I don't. I'm Matt. I'm Matt. <laughs> Still Matt. Hasn't changed. And I'm Brittany. Maybe. We're feeling Maybe. goofy and, and funky this week. Uh, we got a fun episode planned for this week. So, you know, before we get into the, the fun of this episode, talking all about animals and costumes. That's another F. Oh, fun. Very good, Matthew. The Phenearsonation. Phenearsonation. <laughs> I hate that so much. What are y'all been up to this week? I am. Um, so a couple of weeks ago when Virginia and Freya came on, I talked about it. Houston Woods. We saw Woodstork and Sabin's Gull and um, Snowy Egret at a local state park near me that I'm doing a lot of work at. I'm here to report that Somehow this 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 state park continues to pop off because recently um, of recording, it was this weekend, a green-tailed toey showed what? up. What? Which is a it is a songbird. It is um, for those in our region, it's related to the eastern toey. Oh my gosh! It's a bird from the Rockies. Yeah, <laughs> and one of the bird club members texted in our group chat and she was like hey don't know what this bird is but i got a picture and i only have one match on cornell for this bird and i'm feeling weird about it because this bird's from california and sure enough it was green-tailed toey so houston woods got me four lifers in the span of a week all of which were like absolutely outrageous the one that was most near where it needed to be um should be in florida so like Houston Woods continuing to pop off, getting me some birds, and it was a really cool experience. So it was a lot of fun. We're just like kind of dumbfounded at what's going on right now near us. That's totally amazing. Oh, a little toey joke there from Brittany. Very good. That's toeedly amazing. <laughs> Weird. Cuckoo bananas this week. Brittany, <laughs> <laughs> Um 
I'm doing pretty well. Um, we had a uh, one of our really good friends come and visit us, and it's always really great to see them. Um, and gearing up to go back home for a weekend, um, home as in Chicago and not Missouri. And so, yeah, just really excited and uh, gearing up. So, happy, happy Brittany. Well, that's that's wonderful. I just want to mention real quick, Matt. You mentioned we when when you mentioned the birdability episode just a few weeks back. This week is actually birdability week. So the week of this podcast release, October eighteenth through October twenty fourth, is birdability week. So hopefully you can uh, maybe attend some birdability events hosted by your local Audubon chapters or your local birding chapters. Go and check those out. Support birdability. You can donate. That link is still going to be in our in our. Um, blog post so definitely continue to check out birdability we always want to continue to support them so they're great happy birdability week everybody um this past weekend i actually uh, hosted uh i co-hosted i guess with chicago audubon and the chicago park district a uh birdability event so i i led a led a group of a couple people at montrose and it was really wonderful so that was really great so really excited about birdability and uh what i'm even more excited about is getting into our next segment which is the creature feature. So today we're going to be talking all about animals and costumes, which is really a more fun way to say camouflage. We'll get into more about that later in the episode, but I think now we can discuss one of my favorite costumed creatures. Matt and Brittany, you already know what the creature feature is. But without spoiling it, can you guess what this creature is going to be wearing as its costume for Halloween? I'd say something very poofy or very wispy, depending on what kind it is. Very delicate. You see them in the sky. Sometimes they bring rainstorms. Oh, that's that's very good. That's very good, Matthew. You're not so, at all close to what this creature is going to be for Halloween, though. That's a I good mean, guess. I but do know the else. name of the creature, and that seems to be... It's, it's, a, it's a good tease for the name of the creature, but not mm -hmm. a good guess as to what their costume is. So keep that in mind, nature lovers. Brittany, what do you think about this creature? What, what's it going to wear for Halloween? Well, my guesses could be spotty. Oh. Some Sometimes while I've tried to find them, my eyes have gotten cloudy. Oh, wow. So you're saying this <laughs> creature is dressing up as my cell phone service? Yes. You're, this creature is dressing up as Brittany without wearing glasses. <laughs> um, that is very accurate. Um, well, none of these guesses are, are correct, unfortunately. Clouded leopards are actually going to be dressing up as maybe some of our favorite superheroes for Halloween. So... Clouded leopards are just like the Batman of the Southeast Asian rainforests. So that might be a wild statement you're thinking, CJ, how are they Batman? They're literally a cat. Well, let me just tell you. Just as Batman wears his dark cowl to hide in the night of Gotham, clouded leopards have spots to camouflage them in the rainforest. Those spots help them blend in with the sun peeking through the canopy and really lets them hide while they are stalking their prey, just as Batman hides on the rooftops cloud leopards have a utility belt of adaptations that help them topple their foes such as long canine teeth for ripping meat 
hind feet that can turn 180 degrees backwards to climb face first down trees, and a long tail to keep balance. Batman also has a ton of uh, ad uh, adaptations in his utility belt, right? So Batman was trained in a bunch of different martial arts, and he, this is true about Batman, by the way, he was trained by the League of Assassins, fun facts. We don't have enough time to get into that. Okay, fair enough. Batman also occasionally will carry some shark repellent, so not unlike the clouded leopard. And clouded leopards might not be the creature feature or the cat that you wanted, but they're the one you learned about right now. Just like Batman wasn't the hero that Gotham wanted, but the hero that it needed. So that is why the clouded leopard is our creature feature for our costumed episode, dressing up as Batman for Halloween. What are our thoughts, folks? All I can picture is a clouded leopard riding a shark. <laughs> no, 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 shark repellent. I stammer when I say. I'm not no, no, let the girl speak. I'm not giving it in. It's a funny I was just so <laughs> confused. Do you all know about the shark repellent? No. So literally all I could think about was I'm okay. riding a shark like a cowboy. <laughs> okay. So in the Adam West era Batman... In part of Batman's utility belt, he carried shark repellent because once he was saving Robin from a shark. So he sprayed the mm. shark repellent in a can. And now this joke has come up a couple of different times in comics and in, in iterations of, of animated Batman. For example, in the most recent Harley Quinn series, Batman uses shark repellent on King Shark, you may know from the new Suicide Squad movie. I've not seen that one yet. It's very good. Do I've aerosols good. work underwater? No, 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 no. King Shark's out. King Shark can breathe on land. No, but I mean the other shark. No, no, no. Like, it was jumping out of the water to get Robin. So, so he, that. So he sprayed the shark so it didn't come after them. So that can of aerosol is restricted only to sharks that have exited the water. That's how prepared Batman is. What does he have for Just like clouded shark? leopards, might I add. Honestly, yeah. I, I understand the joke now that it's been explained, but I literally didn't know that about Batman. So well, I thought yeah. you were talking about that cloud of leopards gave off some type of scent to repel no, sharks. No, no, and no, I'm no. like, where in the heck are uh, cloud yeah, no. leopards and sharks gonna, ever going to meet? No, that makes and a lot of sense. But they actually could connect somehow, Brittany. Let me elaborate on that. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. I was like... I, I really need that explanation, but thank you. True. I'm here But clouded now. leopards are, in fact, the Batman of the rainforest, so they will be dressing up as Batman for Halloween. We're going to get into more costumed creatures later in the episode, but for now, let's jump into our current events. So my current event comes from the patch. And the title reads, Rabies Death in Illinois, First Human Case in 67 Years. So pretty much the whole article is talking about um, this, this gentleman who, while he was sleeping, I guess, was bit by a bat who ended up having rabies. And he had, um, this gentleman had decided that he wasn't going to uh, seek proper medical attention for said bite. And he did end up contracting rabies and wound up exhibiting multiple symptoms and eventually ended up dying from rabies that he had contracted from this bat bite. And it's the first death in 67 years. Um, and it actually happened in Lake County. It's just a wild 
story I thought was really interesting that and kind of wild that's been the first case or the first at least first death in 67 years um it's sad because it could have totally been avoided had he sought out proper medical attention because that's something that could have easily been avoided yeah rabies i i read about this one earlier in the day today as of recording so it's uh very timely you bring that up Brittany. thanks for sharing that my current event this week comes from futurism.com also known as the bite and it is talking about a let's just read the title real quick i don't know if you guys have seen the title of my article but i'm just going to read out the title and you can react i think it'd be funnier if you react with your mics on so feel free to turn your mics on for this reaction scientists discover a creature that never has sex <laughs> what a fitting conversation i just opened up the article this is some wild writing. I know. I know. Um, whoa. I'm I know. on my way. <laughs> that is quite the opening sentence that I just read under the Misselson effect. Yep. Yep. That is quite the, the writing. So this article uh, is talking about a uh, <laughs> a species of beetle mite with the scientific name Opiella uh, nova. And it is an all-female, ancient, asexual beetle mite species. So for years, scientists have struggled to figure out how exactly these creatures reproduce and survive despite not having sex. Because, like, that is how most creatures in the Animalia Kingdom procreate. At one point, they hypothesized that the beetle mites occasionally produce a reproductive male by accident. Which is kind of reminiscent of Jurassic Park when life found a way. You're implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will breed? No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. But they have figured out the elusive puzzle to how the beetles can reproduce. They create clones of themselves. So it turns out that this species of beetle mite can actually genetically create varied versions of itself through a process called the Messelison effect. This allows the beetle to create different copies of its genetic information with separate mutations. This is actually the first instance in which scientists have been able to observe and study the Messelison effect. And researchers have published a paper of their findings. And, you know, it, it, it sounds like a simple thing, but apparently it's never been observed and never really demonstrated in animals until now. So it was a really exciting thing um, when discovered. Creatures that can survive without sexual reproduction do crop up in nature. There are a bunch, but this is the first specific one in <laughs> this type of animal. And it, it really stumped scientists for a while. So definitely an interesting story. Okay. That's pretty sick. One thing I do also want to say, for those who do go to the article, I will just say that the article says that it is in the first sentence they says they discovered an ancient species of beetle it's not a beetle it is a, a beetle mite. mite i i yeah, went and looked up because i was very confused i don't know why i had to look it up because the picture of it shows eight legs and that should have also the picture shows it as being 20 micrometers yeah so it's crazy tiny i just looked it up and they said they found it on the feathers of certain owls which is yeah. 
a lot of those kind of parasitic mites end mm-hmm. up being, which yeah. is really interesting. But I just wanted to point out this author is under the impression that it is a beetle. Tis I mean, to be fair to a lot of people who maybe like aren't as nature oriented as some of us nature lovers are, mm-hmm. can you really tell the difference between a beetle and a beetle mite? Like, I know if I was looking at them, I probably couldn't tell. But like, I, I like logically know the difference. But also, to be fair, one you would be able to see. That's it. That's the, that's the difference right there. But also, maybe not. Who knows? You know what's the who's, who's who's to who knows what a pair of eyes are. Just just want to point out that for our, for our listeners, it is a beetle mite. If you go and look it up, it is not a beetle. So, but also that... go read this article because it's very interestingly written, and it's um, really... I think that this could be really funny if you go read it. The, the writing of this article, as I kept, I was like reading it as you were as you were talking, CJ, and the language that they have decided to use while I mean, I really these... enjoyed the language. It's part of the reason that I chose this article. I really enjoyed it, but it is very, very different. Um. Highly um, fear fearsinating, funnier sinating, funnier sinating, highly funnier sinating. Matt, what's your current event this week? <laughs> CJ, going, please move on, <laughs> please for the somebody, love. Somebody, somebody has to be in control. Please, please. All right. So my articles from the Wildlife Society by Joshua Rapp Learn, titled "LEDs May Cause More Insect Declines Than Other Lights." So, given that this is something passionate about. I obviously kind of gravitated towards it pretty, pretty hardcore. And essentially it kind of goes into things that I think a lot of people have noticed anecdotally, but not necessarily had hard data and driven science to accredit those kind of findings we were seeing. And so essentially in the UK, um, what happened was scientists wanted to see how light is impacting insects. And so they, took 27 sites with streetlights that also had comparable area without streetlights and then compared the number of caterpillars in both lit and unlit areas. Essentially what this was doing was giving them an idea as to what the bug numbers were like when things were lit and when things were not. And what they found was that even before like taking data collections, the authors of this study found like a massive, massive difference between lit and unlit areas. They said that sometimes the lit areas had only half as many insects as unlit areas. They didn't even need to crunch numbers to get to that. It was that staggering of a difference. Um, the, The quote Lily says from this guy, that was the most striking thing. You didn't even need to run the data. And for that to be that strong of a correlation, that's really, really big. One thing they also saw was that after weighing the individual caterpillars, they found out that the moths around the lit areas were heavier than the unlit. And they think that this is because the light confused them by being on all the time. And essentially they were thinking that this was a period of 24 hours of daylight. And so it might lead to them rushing their development towards being adult moths, which brings in a lot of costs, right? You're not putting on as much weight, so you're not living as long as you should in one stage, which throws off different breeding patterns and such. And, you know, Krizan's problems, that could move up to the food chain, right? There's a lot of birds and bats and shrews and hedgehogs that all eat these caterpillars or these moths, which also are pollinators. 
So by kind of destroying the infrastructure of this group of um, organisms, you're causing a lot of things to fall apart. And the really interesting thing that they found out was that looking at the differences between LEDs and like older sodium-based lights, which are the ones that kind of give off those orange glow, LEDs affected the insects a lot more than those. The caterpillar numbers were reportedly 52% lower in the LED areas, whereas the sodium-based lights had 41% lower caterpillar numbers um, in unlit areas. So it's about 11% increase in the drop of caterpillars between LED or sodium-based light. But it's really something that can be fixed easily, right? Even though the world is trending towards LEDs because they're more cost-effective as well as energy-efficient, which is a great you know, jump towards climate change mitigation. One thing I will say is that those lights are really modifiable. They can be dimmed, right? They're programmable. You can change the colors then you can find ones that can be impacted less. They can also be motion triggered. So if you were to, you know, turn it on because a car or something was driving by, you have ways around the effect that you're having. So even though it's a problem that they're seeing and it's a problem that could exacerbate itself, it's nice to know that there are still really easy solutions ahead that might be able to slow down this drastic decrease we're seeing in these bug populations. Matt, I feel like we keep hearing every week about moths and i'm not mad about it especially during this spooky season you know i i know that moths are are experiencing some troubles right now and i really appreciate you updating our, our nature lover listeners all about that so thanks for that matthew with current events done it's time to move on to our next spooky segment which is our main topic for the day <laughs> All right, so this week we are talking everything, animals in costumes. What the heck does that mean, CJ? Great question, nature lover. We're talking about animals who camouflage, who put on a costume to better be adapted to their environment. So the traditional Halloween, which is coming up in just a, a, a hop, skip, and a jump. We're, we're, we're what, 13 days from Halloween at this point? Very exciting. Halloween is thought to have originated with a Celtic festival when people lit bonfires and wore costumes to ward off roaming ghosts. And in some respects, some animals do pretty much the same thing, except they don't do it just on Halloween. They do it every day of the freaking year in an attempt to ward off predators and to ambush prey. Animals have evolved a variety of features that let them blend into their surroundings. So, this week, we're going to be talking about some awesome examples of animals in camouflage donning their best Halloween costumes. And maybe you'll get some ideas for this year's Halloween costume. We still got some time. <laughs> well, I will get us started here today with uh, our first creature donning a costume. And it is the leafy sea dragon. So leafy sea dragons, they're super charismatic. They're really, really beautiful sea creatures. And... Even though they're really beautiful sea creatures, they're actually really terrible swimmers, and they totally rely on their camouflage to avoid predation. They're pretty big compared to other relatives of theirs, like seahorses. They're about a foot uh, foot in length, which, like I said, pretty big. They eat small plankton, so they're not really using camouflage to prey upon anything. So like I said, they're super charismatic in the way that they look. They look exactly like the kelp gardens that they live in. They are 
green and got a bunch of little appendages sticking off of them that really look like and resemble those leaves. If you are just walking by a tank full of leafy sea dragons, you might miss them because they are just great at camouflage. And they use that camouflage, like I said, to avoid predation because they're pretty terrible swimmers. They are gorgeous, gorgeous beings, but they're, they're pretty bad at being water creatures. So that is our first uh, of the costumed creatures this week in talking about um, the, the leafy sea dragons forested sea costume. Both leafy and weedy sea dragons were actually like my first ever favorite fish. So very, very excited that we got to talk. They're very, they're very wispy in the way that they go about things. They they, they go where the water flows. And I, I love them. I think they're beautiful. They're gorgeous creatures. So for my first costumed creature, is it a zebra? Is it a horse? Is it a, is it a thing? Well, actually, it's none of the above, except oh no, except for the thing part. It is it does qualify as a thing. My first animal is the okapi, and if you haven't heard of it before, it's really no big deal because you ain't alone. The okapi, also known as the forest giraffe, is just that. It's a relative of the giraffe. They stand about five feet or so tall at the shoulder, so it's not exactly a freak of nature like its cousin but they still have the same kind of look and proportions of the giraffe. Now, one of the big differences between okapis and giraffes is that giraffes can be found on the African savanna, out on the plains, while the okapi, being known as the forest giraffe, is actually found in rainforests, very predominantly the, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And it may look weird. There are these brown horse looking things with a white face and zebra stripes specifically relegated to their butt which may not sound like camouflage but in fact it's actually a really really great and interesting form of it now zebra stripes out on the wilds plains like for actual zebras work as a kind of camouflage where they all blend together the way that zebra stripes work for zebras in a herd is when you get a whole mass of them those black and white stripes all blend together, and it's hard for a predator to single them out. It's an active form of camouflage. Whereas okapis are incredibly, incredibly solitary creatures. Very, very rarely will you ever find multiple together at the same time. And if you do, it's, I'd say, 99.97% of the time, that's a fake statistic, most of the time it's because it's a mother-rearing it's young. That's really the only time you ever see them overlapping. So those zebra stripes on their butt obviously don't work the same way as the zebra's camouflage does. It's really odd, but really cool because when creatures in the rainforest, right, when the sun comes down, the rainforest, the trees and everything, you've got this really dense canopy, light shines through it in a way that creates like these these rays of sunlight like i know we all kind of think of rays of sunlight in the context of twilight of those rays coming down on edward cullen but like that's a really common occurrence for species to see in the rainforest where the canopy is super duper dense so you're only getting spotting and the black and white formation the thick barring on the buttocks of the okapi kind of mirrors that to where they blend in to the canopy itself 
So when a creature looks forward, it sees light going shining through the canopy, sees it shining through all the foliage, and it then sees brown white barring that blends in with that really well. It's very cryptic camouflage that if you took the Okapi out of its natural environment, and like if you were to see it in a zoo and such, doesn't make any sense at all. But when you put it where it belongs, where it came from, it is absolutely perfectly suited for a large species such as the Okapi, and thus protects them from the predators that they might encounter. The Okapi is one of my favorite creatures for a lot of reasons that we will come back to later on this podcast at another date, but for now, their camouflage is one of the coolest methods of camouflage that I can think of from a species. Everybody knows that I love Okapi. I'm, uh, I love Okapi so much, I got an Okapi of one on my leg. <laughs> I have an Okapi tattoo, that's the joke. Well, thank you, CJ, for introducing us to the Okapi, a very uh, mythical... Nope. No. Matt, Matt introduced us to no. the Okapi. Well, thank you, Matt, for introducing us to the mythical vampire Okapi, or or just, just Okapi, I guess, um, but spooky Okapi. Anyway, our next animal comes from Central and South Asia, and if you blink, you might just miss it. This animal became a super popular meme on Facebook, and it's because it's so good at camouflaging that it's its biggest way of attacking prey. Um, so the snow leopard is this beautifully designed animal that uh, lives out in the mountains. And so their coloration is like this mixture of these beautiful whites and blacks and grays. And they look exactly like the mountainy backdrop in which they go hunting. One of their biggest prey items are gonna be mountain goats. And so one of the most useful tools they have is going to be camouflaging into those rocks and sneaking up and, and stalking their prey. Um, the mountain goats are super agile and are able to get away pretty quickly. So by being able to blend in to that background, they pretty much are able to go unnoticed. Um, and like I mentioned a little, just a little bit ago, they became this popular meme on Facebook um, a I want to say it was a couple of years ago, um, and that was because it was just a photo of a of a snow leopard that was like, you know, if you can find this, you probably won't die. And it like the snow leopard is like right in your face, but you really can't see it just because of how beautifully and camouflaged it is to that background. These guys are really cute. They've got a lot of other adaptations to be able to survive their climates, like those beautiful tails and things like that. But being able to camouflage um, is one of their biggest ways of being able to stalk their prey and uh, get some food. Oddly enough, I actually remember that snow leopard picture. And I actually also remember actually being able to see the snow leopard. So pretty proud of that. But Snow leopards do have some of the craziest camouflage I've ever seen. It's incredible. So if you ain't seen that Facebook picture, go check it out. Our next species comes from me, the, again, moth man of the podcast. And note that I am putting a space in between those two words as my two co-hosts got viscerally upset earlier. But the next camouflage I'm going to refer to is that of Dryacampa 
rubiconda, which is the species scientific name for the rosy maple moth. Now, the rosy maple moth is one of the world's most Instagrammable bugs and has actually made the rounds before. It is a smaller moth in the group Saturniidae, which are the Saturnids, which are the large silkworm moths. So the ones that are really bright and vivacious and colorful and like the Luna moths and the Cecropias and that, those are all your Saturnids. Those are your silkworm moths. And the rosy maple moth is actually the smallest of that group. It's only about an inch and a half, two inches. It's not a very large moth compared to the Cecropia, which is like eight. But it got its title of being the most Instagrammable because it's almost got like a sherbet-like color palette. It's this really like pastel yellow and pastel pink color that, you know, upon first glance, it's really bright. They're beautiful bugs and they almost, they like, they stick out just as much as butterflies do. So, you know, you might be wondering, well, Matt, how in the hell is that camouflage? Well, the rosy maple moth gets its name from its host plant. It is, um, it breeds on and grows up on maple trees, um, particularly in Midwestern and Eastern United States um, forests. That is its host plant. It's the maple tree. And maple trees have these fun little doodads called helicopters. And these helicopters will, they're the fruits of the maple tree. The seed is in a little ball that is surrounded by this structure that looks like the blade of one helicopter, maybe like a sickle almost with an attachment off of it that spins as it comes down. Now, these helicopters are a pink and yellow that are grouped alternating on the stem of the um, the plant. They hang off similarly to they're grouped in pairs and it's similar to the way that like the moth holds its wings. So the moth's wings are the same colors of these paired off maple fruits that eventually fall off the tree and spiral to the ground, but provide a great camouflage that is really indicative of it being a moth. A lot of these bugs and these inverts that we see are so specifically relegated to like their host plant or the very specific microhabitat that they live in. And this is something that we're seeing that might be causing crashes for insect populations just because they are so intimately tied to that one thing and they've diversified so much that they are stuck to that one thing. If you were to put a rosy maple moth on like an oak or an elm, things done. It's dead. So this is why it's so important to preserve native plants and a wide diversity of them so that you can keep them. But needless to say, the world's most Instagrammable moth may not look like it's got some camouflage going on. But once you see a picture of it on those fruits, it's astounding how similar it is. And a great, great, great example of the epicness of the moth world. Wow, what a moth, man. Very good, Brittany. Very good. <laughs> so from the skies, we're going to head on down back to the ground to a special little amphibian named the Vietnamese bird poop frog. And just like their name might suggest, the Vietnamese bird poop frog does come from, from Vietnam. They uh, definitely have a very interesting way of camouflaging into their environment. 
These little amphibians coloration allows them to look just like Allows them to look just like poop. So these guys are a little bit of a mixture of colors. They're browns and um, they've got little speckles of white on them. Um, and the reason why they are this coloration is literally to make them look just like bird poop. Their whole shtick is to look as unappetizing as possible to be able to stay safe from predators. And so a personal story, I actually have the joy of actually getting to work with these guys. They're really cool. And their camouflage is really, truly, honestly astounding because when I have to go and check in on them every day, I have a hard time finding them because they really do look like bird poop. Um, and they're just really fun and really cool. They're really teeny tiny. So they literally just look like a speck of poop that's on the ground. Um, sometimes they can be um, they can be speckled in with greens, kind of look like moss. Um, but for the most part, they just look like they've had a rough night. You know, they look like poop. <laughs> That's very very funny. And what an interesting costume that those uh, Vietnamese bird poop frogs are rocking. The next costumed creature is actually two costume creatures that I'm going to talk about right now, and it's our final ones for the episode. So let's uh, let's get into it. Um, just as there are popular costumes every year, this year I'm expecting to see a couple of Cruella de Vil costumes because of Cruella. I'm expecting to see maybe some Luca costumes. Maybe I'm expecting to see uh, some Joker costumes. That's always a classic. But there are actually some other pretty popular costumes. Now, if we look uh, up in the Arctic biome, when we think about the Arctic biome, what do we normally think of? We think of vast white tundras, these snowy tundras that are just blank canvases, and any speck of color will stand out. But they really only look like that for part of the year. Winters can be utterly brutal, and springs can be brown and green. So how can a creature truly camouflage? Well, there are two creatures that do it better than any others. And that is the Arctic hare and the Arctic fox. Both of these uh, Arctic creatures, Arctic mammals, ha share the unique ability to shed their costumes and don a new one every single year. Twice a year, actually. So what they will do is, in the springtime, they will have this dark brown coat that lets them blend into rocks, blend into the dirt, and make them very difficult to find for either predators, for the Arctic hare, or for prey, for the Arctic fox. On the other hand, come the wintertime when it is snowy on the ground and everything is that blank white canvas, they shed that brown fur and put on their winter coats, literally, they become pretty much blank white. And they they uh, they really look completely different. When scientists were first, you know, seeing these, maybe not scientists, but maybe like settlers from, uh, from Europe were first seeing these creatures, they didn't know what quite to make of them. And they initially described them as two separate species, each two species for the foxes and two species for the hares. But obviously, science has come uh, a pretty far away since then since European settlers got here. Um, 
even though indigenous people knew they were one species the whole time because indigenous people obviously know about their land um whatever uh, but all of that out of the way these creatures are super unique and even though their costumes are quite popular they are still rocking that costume and killing their camouflage any final thoughts on our costumed creatures like the arctic hare and arctic fox no final thoughts but i do want to hear what everyone else is planning on for their camouflage for halloween this year yeah Brittany told us last week Brittany, uh britney and the fam are going as pirates right mm -hmm. is that still the plan Brittany? pirate squirrels i'm i'm hoping so we've hit a little snag in the oh, plan no. but i'm hoping to get that plan back on track so it's still still pirate is the plan it's the pirate is a plan because pirate squirrels but very good yeah matt what are you gonna be for halloween um i think I, i'm still con uh contemplating a little bit i'm struggling because all the things I want to dress up for to really go for it, I'd have to shave off my beard, and that's a no go. Commit, so, like, commit to the bit. I commit to uh, the bit. I see. I've already ruined our logo with my long hair. You ruined the logo with your shaved beard. No, this is not about the logo. This is fully about ruining my face. No, it'll be great. I've seen uh, your shaved face. It's beautiful. You're gorgeous. Oh. No. No. You know, you look well. Now that's I true. have to know what your shaved face looks like. So it's... I say, do it. No. <laughs> So I yeah I don't I don't exactly know I think it'd be cool to dress up as a bird watcher. Oh what a what a stretch! But see, most people here don't know that about me. So if I were to walk into class with binoculars, I think I'm gonna um, be myself for Halloween. I rarely do it, so might as well do it one day a year. I, I was just about to say you figured that out. <laughs> We're going to try. <laughs> I got about 13 days, folks. So let's uh, let's wrap up the episode. Where can y'all be found on the social meds? You can find me on Instagram at the Brittany underscore bunch. T-H-E-B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y underscore B as in Brichter, U-N-C-H. All right. I haven't even gone yet. <laughs> this I is have not gone yet. Bit. I have not gone yet. This is my favorite recurring bit. <sighs> it's not it's a Brittany bit. bullying Matt. Matt, where can you be found on the social media? I don't want to be found. <laughs> you, you can, can find, find Matt on Instagram at M-A-T-T-V-I-G-A. No, no. You can find me on Instagram at Matt Valga. That is M-A-T-T-V-A-L-I-G-A. Oh, pranked. Yeah, I will. I will take it away if you don't behave. I will, I will take, take it, it away. away. <laughs> All right, we're gonna put no, a poll. This, we're, gonna, we're gonna put a poll this week on our Instagram. Should Matt take away Vias and Victor? This Absolutely is not, not a right. This is I, not a right. It is a privilege. If you take it away, I will never stop. I may stop now for a little bit. I can't promise forever. <laughs> This is not that's Brittany. too long of a commitment Brittany. this is not given it is earned <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on the social means at cj.greco that's cj.greco and i'm probably gonna be posting a picture of my copy today with the caption is this a giraffe what if you what if you do the is this a giraffe <laughs> like the 
You know. Yeah, it's going to have a little butterfly emoji next to it. Is this a giraffe butterfly? Because, like, is, is this, this a pigeon? pigeon? I love. You know that meme, Brittany? Oh, it's so good. You're not well versed in the meme culture, are you? I'm really not. Old. You can find all of us collectively on Instagram at the Birdie Bunch Podcast. That's T H E. No, I'm not going to do that. Where we post all kinds of good things like teasers, cut clips, infographics, as well as more information on merch. So definitely go and check that out. Speaking of merch, you can visit our website, thebirdiebunchpodcast.com, to check out our merch store. Uh, like I said at the top of the episode, we still have that merch code running. Use the code SPOOKY for 15% off in our merch store. We have a lot of really spooky designs that I'm sure you're to love. Also, up on the website now is our new Britney logo. So if you are loving our new Britney logo, make sure to go pick that up from the merch store. You can still use the spooky code for 15% off of everything in the store. So definitely get on that. When you visit our website, you can also check out our Patreon. Um, if you visit our Patreon, we have a couple different tiers of support. So go and check that out. Awesome support tiers. You know, if you pay $10 a month, you can actually uh, get a video of a, unedited of this podcast. So definitely pay $10 a month to go get that. It'd be really exciting. Um, a lot of funny things happen in this episode that we can't necessarily share. That happens every single week, folks. So if you're really interested in that kind of content, definitely go to our Patreon to do that. If you want a shout-out here on the podcast, just sign up for our Patreon. Like I said, every patron gets a shout-out, just like Gabe Anderlay. Thank you for continuing to be a patron of the Birdie Bunch podcast. Another way to get a shout-out here on the podcast is to leave a review. If you leave a five-star review, we will shout you out here on the podcast. We have no new re reviews this week, but we always look forward to your feedback. So let us know what you liked. Let us know what you didn't like. But if you leave it five stars, we will read it out here. If you can't support the podcast financially, you're like, I don't want to leave a review, but you still want to help us out, what you can do is you can share this podcast with a friend. If you think the Spooky Bunch is so spooky, definitely share it, and we can be spooky to everybody else too. Any nature lover is welcome. That wraps up our time this week on the Birdie Bunch podcast. Have a wonderful week, nature lovers. Enjoy Birdability Week, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We would like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our logos, Elliot High for being our writing and production assistant, and Connor Whitman for being our music producer. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.